and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, a part of Stroke Focus. We're here today with Denise Bourne, and she is a member of the Unlimited Possibilities Stroke Support Group and TBI Support Group in Georgia, and a flagship group of the Brain Injury Association of Georgia. Denise's life took an unexpected turn 31 years ago. She was a Ph.D. student when suddenly everything was derailed by a traumatic brain injury. And things were hard. It seemed that no one could understand what she was going through. And one day, she found the Unlimited Possibilities group, which has changed her life. Today, Denise is very heavily involved in running the local group with friends who had similar experiences. She is a strong advocate of local support groups to the stroke and brain injury community. They are making a difference. So at this time, I want to welcome Denise. Hi. Hi there. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited to have you here and and learn a little bit more about you. You were a Ph.D. student, and then you had your traumatic brain injury. Tell us a little bit about this, what happened afterwards. Okay, I was a student studying theology and pastoral care and counseling, and that's what one of my specialties is, is uh, trauma. And I was at my parents' house, just happened to be there talking to my nieces. We were sitting in a swing that had been up in my parents' backyard for over 30 years and had not realized it, but the it was made out of cross ties, and it was attached to a pine tree. Well, when we got into a swing, and it started swinging, it fell. The big old cross tie fell, hit the tallest thing there, which was my head, which is good because they were two and four years old, and it would have killed them. From there, went to the hospital and everything, and as you said, it derailed my life. It didn't dawn on me that I wouldn't be able to drive. And so I went like two and a half years at that point or longer not driving. And I, my doctor would not sign for me to go back to school. I was limited in everything that I could do. And I did not realize that I had just bought a house and I was supposed to move in the weekend I had my accident. And that you just didn't realize you weren't going to be able to do it. You weren't going to be able to go back to school. And it, it was still two and a half years afterwards. It, was there a point that you realized that your life really did change and was changing? Yes, there was. I had two small children, and I knew how much that I was struggling, but other people did not know. I was afraid to tell people. I was afraid to tell people because people who had not had any brain injuries or anything, didn't know what I was talking about. To others, it looked like that I was incompetent, that I was stupid, that I didn't have a clue. And luckily, I had a job with the family business 
And so I was able to continue to, quote, work. Finally, my brother said, just go home and we'll continue to pay, pay you. Just go work with your children. You'll still be responsible for certain things, but not as someone who was in the office all the time. I still worked, but just not in the office. And so um, my, um, I mean, it was just one of those things. But what I was going to say is that I was so afraid to tell people because I was afraid that they would deem me unfit to be an unfit mother. And I was afraid that people would take my children away from me, not knowing any better. I didn't know anything about it. And the thing is, no one else did either. I was able to walk and talk. So, of course, that means there's nothing wrong with me. I went in a wheelchair, no cane. I could still talk. I could still think. And so no one knew how bad it really was. And I, like I said, until my children were of age, I refused to tell anyone. I have to thank you for that honest answer because I think that a lot of people with a brain injury, whether acquired or traumatic, struggle with that. They don't want uh, about children being taken away or people not understanding. Because I think some of that still happens today where the medical community, some people don't understand that. Your family and friends don't always understand it. And they know that that you're competent enough to do certain things, but some people aren't. They look at us and say, oh, my goodness, well, she's walking, talking, she's making phone calls, she's handling the bills, whatever it is, but they don't understand the real underlying struggle that we all face with that. I agree with you, and people say, oh, I understand I have right. memory issues too. I have I, I misplace things, and they say they understand, but in reality they don't have a clue. And I don't want them to understand that much, because I don't want them to have a traumatic brain injury or a stroke right. or anything of the sort. True, but at the same time, I get upset. I don't know about you when they say, "Oh yeah, that happens to me all the time." Well, no, you don't understand. This isn't. What your all the time is, this is our all the time. This is our hourly, daily thing. It's not, you know, yeah, it's kind of funny. You walk into a room and you forget what you went there for. Yes, I did that before my stroke, but now it's like I could be doing whatever it is I'm thinking about and not realizing that that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm doing. And and they don't get that. And you're right. I don't want them to go through it that way that we have. But at the same time, they don't really get it. Or I'll be talking to someone about a bill or something, you know, very seriously. But I'll say, okay, I'm not getting what you're saying. I want you to know I have a brain injury. When I do this, can you figure out a different way to ask me or reiterate what you just said and people will go oh ha 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 and it's like no I'm serious and people don't get it they really don't I mean some people they do try and they're nice but you know it's it's hard very true it is so and 31 years ago I can't imagine because even now that we have 
the same problems. 31 years ago, I'm thinking it was worse because I don't think the research had been done or the, they, I mean, even with stroke, uh, the way it was handled, I mean, a lot of times they were just sent home and said, ah, you're done, you know, go home. And, and they weren't encouraged to keep exercising or to use their brain or, you know, whatever. So we've made progress, but it still has a long way to go. I agree with you. When I had my accident, people think that I was in the hospital for three or four months, like a lot of people were. They were unconscious or whatever, but I was conscious from the beginning. And so I was only in the hospital for five days. I was in ICU for three days, and then I was on the floor for two days. And they did not expect me to live. And I know that one of the ways I know that, I mean, I'm not stupid, even though people think I am. They sent me home from the hospital with blood matted in my hair still. No one had cleaned it out or anything. Now, my surgeon was phenomenal. He really was. But I knew that. I knew what that meant. I had worked in the hospital field, in the medical field. I knew exactly what that meant. So, and they never would really talk to me. Also, when I woke up or after surgery, my parents were in the room on either side in a chair, and they never made my parents leave. I've worked in the hospital. You have visitation hours. My parents were visiting all day long, and I knew that was not good. So I did understand things, but also for me, I don't always know what to ask. And I'll say, what have I missed? What have I not asked that I need to ask? Because I don't know what what I really should be asking. Right. But I have the same issue with people who who you know don't do not understand at all. Exactly. So, what have you learned from all of this? I am a different person. I have learned. I have become more empathetic, which is amazing that I actually have. I've learned what real friendship really is, and those friends are people who are standing by me no matter what. And I've also learned that the that there is help out there now. Like I said, when 31 years ago, there was no help. Shepherd Center in Atlanta hadn't been going on very long, and so been in effect or whatever very long. And so I've never had rehab. I've never had physical, I had to ask what it was. And I learned that through my support group. I've learned so much stuff that I didn't have a clue about. Things that were available now that was never available before. And I mean, I didn't even know how to ask the questions. I didn't know what to ask. Didn't know what the questions were. So you, at some point, got involved with Unlimited Possibilities. How did that happen, and what has made it special to you? Well, I learned about unlimited possibilities through a friend of mine who is an RN, and I volunteer for her and everything, but she told me, she said, you know, there's a support group out there, and so I went, and when I first went, I thought, I am not going to say anything. These people have no clue what I've been through and what I'm going through. And I was convinced of that. And when I first, and it was not a speaker that day, that that month 
we were having where everybody was just sitting around talking and I was I even sat over by myself wasn't really talking to anyone or anything because I kept thinking okay I'm coming but that's it and for the first time in 31 years or however long it had been at that point I understood them and I knew that they understood me and that was something that was very important to me I've been included in the group friendships that I know I never would have had before and these people are amazing but they understand we always are laughing about uh, with a brain injury whichever time that whichever kind that you have they always say oh people say don't let me forget such and such and it's like are you new here do you know who you're saying that to and uh, I have friends who say oh you remember everything well like I said I'm not stupid so what I do is somebody says, oh, my father's having surgery or whatever. I put it in my calendar so that I can call and ask about it. I have to use that. I have to use the resources that I no one taught me. I just know that I have to use them. And right. so, um, but, but the group has also teaching me how, you know, resources that are out there mm-hmm. that I never knew was there. Right. So, yes, I think over the years we all learn some coping skills, whether we learn them on our own or we learn them through a group. One thing that I do that I guess to people who have not had a traumatic brain injury is that, like in my calendar, I'll put down laundry. Everyone would know that, of course, you're going to do laundry. You need to do laundry. But I put that in and then I'll move it to the next week to say, all right, I've done it then. And so I put everything. If I'm if I'm out and I think, oh, I need this from Walmart or whatever, then I put that on. I put Walmart. I put notes at the location. And then I keep a running list. And when I get them, I mark them off. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what's worked for me. But I would be interested to know what app you're talking about. We do. We learn things. So. For me, I learned that repetition helps me remember things. So, you know, I do things like every morning, Monday through Friday, you know, I get up, I get dressed, I put my makeup on. But if I don't put my wedding rings on right after I put the moisturizer on, I forget them. That's it. You know, I walk out the door. So, you know, things like that. And then when I get to work, I make my breakfast, I make my soda. When I sit down and there's a certain routine. So as long as I have that routine, I'm fine. It's when the routine gets broken. I understand. Yeah. And and I think I'm listening well, and and I think this is good for them to hear. Let me say one other thing. I'm sorry. But it's that um, through the unlimited possibilities, one of the things that I have gained from them is confidence. Mm-hmm. is that I can go out and do things and not be afraid. And one of the things I do is volunteer. Now I volunteer for my friend, but she may tell and this is what people don't understand. She may teach me how to do something the same way 20 times, and eventually mm-hmm. I'll get it. And then two or three weeks later, I'll forget how to do it, if mm-hmm. not sooner than that. So she's very patient and understands that she needs to teach me again. I learn things like that from my support group and that they are there for me. So that's another thing about 
support groups is they literally do support you. Right. And they're there for you. Absolutely. And I think that's what people don't really understand is that as a caregiver or a survivor, it's needed. I mean, you need to know that what you're going through is not uh, weird or unusual or that you're not going to be able to move forward. I mean, you need that. And the things I, our support group, I don't know if other support groups do it or not, but we will split up. We have the caregivers, we have a leader for the caregivers, and we have a leader for the survivors so that the caregivers also have the opportunity to express their frustration. To, you know, and other ones say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I handled it this way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's very important for them. I've never had a caregiver go. But I think it's important because I see how my friends who are caregivers, I see how like a, a, an idea of relief that I'm not alone, that there are people who understand what it's like to, to care for someone who is a TBI or someone in a wheelchair or whatever that might be. Right. Well, because it doesn't just happen to the survivor. I mean, it affects everyone. I mean, it may affect some caregivers differently even, but it still affects the family, the caregiver. So we want to talk also about a service dog. And I think you have a service dog. Yes, I have a service dog. It's a German Shepherd. His name is Scout, and he's a year and a half old. And he just graduated, actually, from being in training to a full certified dog, a service dog. So he is, he's amazing. He goes absolutely everywhere with me. And when I go into a place that I've been before, people don't say, hey, here comes Denise. They go, hey, Scout, how are you doing? Here comes Scout. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of like, just like when I was, a, uh, when my kids were younger, I was, you know, Daniel and Joshua's mom. Now I'm Scout's mom. They know right. him. They don't know me. Right. Exactly. I mean, they, they take the attention. But, you know, that's okay, too. So there are differences in dogs. And we know a service dog does a lot more than, like, a therapy dog. or There's emotional support dog. A therapy dog works for, like, a hospital or a nursing home, and it gives therapy and attention to everyone in the facility and their family members and everything. It it goes from person to person. An emotional support dog does not have all the legal rights that a – I don't think they have all the legal rights that a service dog has. But my – the difference between – and people think he might be a therapy dog, but in – he is my service dog, and he only works with me. Mm-hmm. He, he is in tune and attentive to my needs and not other people's needs. And that's the difference in a therapy dog who works with everyone and a service dog who works for an individual. Well, and here's something that I need to add also. People need to understand that when you are out, that Scout is working. And he's not there to play or to be petted by other people because he needs to concentrate on you. Correct. um, I think a lot of people don't understand that, and I don't know if you've run into it, but uh, there are some that do not stop 
I mean, I've seen some videos from different people who I guess have their own YouTube channel and stuff, and they're filming and telling somebody not to approach their dog, not to pet them, and they're leaning down petting, and they say, go away. So I just do want to let people know, again, that it's not okay to approach those dogs. Even if you ask the owner, you should appreciate the answer that you get. Well, and also, something I find is funny is people will say, because their only experience and understanding of service dogs is that it's for a, a guide dog for the blind. And they're like, are you blind? And I'm like, no, I'm not blind. You just saw me drive up. And um, so that's one of the things. But he, uh, you know, my trainer laughingly said, no, the dog's blind. I'm, you know, or the dog drove up. I'm blind and the dog drove up, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, yes, I can go through. My kids and my boyfriend all know that we have to allow extra time if we're going to a botanical gardens or if we're going to Walmart or we're going to Costco, wherever we're going. It's going to take a good 15 to 30 minutes extra for me to get through a place because I'm stopped by everyone. I actually had a lady who got very angry at me because I would not let her uh, pet the scout. But, and another thing, finally somebody asked and said, why can I not pet the dog? And I said, well, if you're petting or talking or whatever to scout, then his attention is on you and not on me. And I could have a seizure. I could have whatever during that time and hit the ground. So a person, if a dog is there for diabetes and their sugar level drops, that can happen in a fraction of a second. And so the attention is off that person. And often that's happened. And the, the uh, handler has hit their head, got knocked out or whatever. So that's why you do it. But I have people who will whistle for him. Come over and pet him, but uh, but more people are becoming educated about it. I hear a lot of parents tell their kids, "That's a working dog. Don't touch it. Don't get near it." So they're, right. they're learning. They're getting better. But I can't go anywhere without people stopping me and talking about him. Yeah. So in your case, do you have Scout more for your seizures, or is it anxiety and seizures and? I mean, is it a whole slew of things? He is there for seizures and anxiety. Usually I kind of have, or in panics, but I have an extreme anxiety, right? I have auras with my seizures, so I have an extreme anxiety when I realize one's coming. Excuse me. And he also works with me with mobility. If I fall because of medication, brain injury, and everything, I seem to fall a lot. And if I fall on the ground, then he will, he comes running to me and he'll sit beside me and then I can kind of position myself and then he, uh, and then I can tell him to stand, stay, brace and I can get up holding on to him. So he helps me get up. Some people now he's not, he's just a year and a half old, so he's not at full growth yet, but some people you can, you can lay across them and they will stand, the dogs will stand up and just literally brings you up to your feet. Another thing that I have learned just recently is that 
Well, I, I think if a service dog ran up to me without the owner, I would know to go with the dog and, and yes, going on. Come and get you for, and they come and bark at you. They're yeah. coming to get you for a reason. Right. And they were talking about this happened to someone and the people ignored the dog until somebody else finally realized something was wrong. But apparently they're, they're now teaching that dog to go. If one person ignores them, go to somebody else until somebody follows them. But I mean, that's got to be hard too for the dog to know these things, to understand that. But it's a lot of training. We had someone in our school who fell in a, toilet stall, bathroom stall, and passed out and whatever. And her dog was a great dame. And it crawled under, it had been trained, it crawled under the door, went out and was barking at people. Of course he had his vest on and everything, barking at people. And finally someone said, Oh, I think I need to go in there and find out why that dog is not with its handler. It went in and to help, but the dog actually, you know, is able to lift the lady up. You were brought for this interview partly because of our Friday online meetings. And what would you like to tell people who are thinking about giving it a try? I've only been to it once so far because we didn't have it last week. And I'd been meaning to do it for a while. I just hadn't because the person who leads with it, leads it, Clem, is in my unlimited possibility support group. But it's great. It's an opportunity to express yourself, give concerns. And there are other people there who are brain injured, however they got that way, there to help you. And it, yeah, and, and it's great that you can do it all over the country. And I have dog training on Friday afternoons from like 12 to 3. So I'm able to use just the telephone. So I don't have to have Wi-Fi or whatever, use any of my data I can just do it on the telephone, which is great, so that I can listen and talk during that time. So I don't have to have my computer. So I'm going to see if maybe at some point you come back and visit with us again. Well, that would be fantastic. May I just say one quick thing? And that is that I, with the help of my trainer, we're going to do a series videos, usually about eight to ten minutes long, to show individuals how a service dog can help. It's really great because they can do so many things. I mean, they explain them where they like to Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join. So I want to thank everybody for the social media website dedicated to service survivors and caregivers. I hope you enjoyed the process this podcast on Stroke Focus, the Hand in Hand Show, was really brought to you by Unlimited Possibilities, Carnival Carla, which in Mandarin means I have survived under Georgia Brain if you wish to be a part of the show or would like Unlimited Possibilities, the show had a many innovations to have mentally change, stretch, and to grow focus. We will give you more updates about their progress in our future podcasts.